Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, a consultant, a coach, writer, and a speaker. How's it going, Rebecca? It's going great. How are you? Great. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. We'll get to why in a second. Okay. We'll start with um, kind of your, your day job, I guess, you, your general. What do you spend your days doing? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, so there is no such thing as the day job. It's the 24-7, never-leaves-my-life job. But I do consulting for entrepreneurs and small business, which also includes coaching and writing and speaking, for the most part. And you consult on? Well, I'm about, can your business make money to fuel your story? So there are various components of that, but helping businesses understand and clearly articulate their strategic narrative so they can use it to make decisions. So their story or their why, and then really creating the right kind of metrics for their money-making model. So you can consistently make money that fuels your story and some other things like that. If any of my businesses could have ever afforded your services, you probably could have helped them. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I appreciate your comment. <laughs> yeah. So, and and how long have you been doing this uh, kind of independent entrepreneurial work? So about a year and a half. I spent close to two decades prior to that working for the Franklin Covey organization, which is... The most known of that is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Uh, Four Disciplines of Execution is one of their bestsellers. So I did a lot of sales and consulting work for them prior to launching on my own. And while you were doing that, were you uh, multitasking, doing some of this on the side? Not really because thinking about doing this, but the demands of what it means to be successful in a in a firm of that size is just all encompassing so there just really wasn't time practically to do it on the side but i was plotting and planning a lot of it i see i i had a corporate job for quite a while and i was working during the day and then at night i was writing applications and coding and building an online presence and Eventually, uh, I had to choose, and I chose the latter because it was more fun. Good choice. I I totally get it. My corporate life was really, really all-consuming. The kind of content that Franklin Covey represents, people are really passionate about, so you couldn't kind of do it. (laughs) It's just one of those things that just consumed your life. But I learned so much that serves me well. And the connections that I made were definitely, I I see my life as that was the preface that I needed to be passionately doing what I'm doing today. So it's all, it's all part of my story. It's all good. It's all connected. Nice. For, for the record, I, I was actually doing really well at the corporate job. (laughs) I, I wasn't phoning it in. I just wasn't sleeping in between. I get you. No, I, there was no part of me that thought that that was a, <laughs> a, a shame-based statement that needed a... <laughs> and, and when I say corporate job, I was working for AOL, 
at on the uh, on engadget.com mostly uh, oh, wow. as a backend web developer. And the guy, the first guy that I hired uh, when I became manager now works for Ted, which is a weird connection because you've done a Ted talk. I know it's a loose connection and that wasn't intended to be a segue. <laughs> I love it. Um, but well, you, I, always looking it, for connections. You know. Mine was a TEDx talk. Right. I feel like I need to do that disclaimer. I haven't risen to the fame of an actual TED talk, but it's definitely on the vision board of hopes and ideas and dreams. I think you'll get there. Uh, based on the video of that TEDx talk, you're an excellent speaker. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So aside from all of these things that you do, or perhaps in tandem or addition to, you are an advocate uh, for, I guess, people with ADHD. And it's a really interesting story to me because ADHD is a really common topic on this show. It's a really common topic in the tech world in general. Uh, It turns out a lot of us are ADHD. (laughs) You have the unique perspective of being someone with a lot of knowledge about ADHD, but not ADHD yourself. True. There have been a few times in my life recently where I thought I actually contracted it by spending so much time <laughs> with people that have it. But after a full night's sleep, and and I realize it's not probably true. But <laughs> well, that's I, I I don't mean to jump ahead into any kind of deep dive, but I think there's something to that insofar as as I've learned to communicate with uh, partners and cl- people close to me that aren't ADHD, we've both kind of picked up, uh, they've become, they've come to understand that I tend to skim along the surface most of the time and that my conversations are going to change topics very quickly. And I've come to understand that they don't like that. So we found like middle ground where we can dig a little bit into a topic, but I can say, okay, I'm I'm kind of my brain has already moved on and you can keep talking if you want to, but I'm not with you anymore. Um, and I feel like we do uh, we pick up certain modes of thinking from each other that way. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I was deciding what my own business was going to be and who I was going to serve. I had this breadth and depth of corporate experience that spanned from Fortune 500 company global consulting rollouts to working with small businesses on a smaller scale and everything in between. And when you're your own business, you don't go to market with all that. So I had to make some critical decisions about who I was and who I served. And over a period of a couple of months of trying out some different things, it finally occurred to me because I also created some training for parents that have kids with ADHD. And so I had kind of that business model out there, but I also had my consulting model out there and I was trying to figure out how, if they could ever connect. And the reason I chose the entrepreneur small business market as my customer for my consulting and coaching business is because most of them diagnosed or not aware or not have a smidge or a lot of ADHD. And so I speak that language. And so it's a great opportunity to use the skills and the research that I have 
around ADD and ADHD to serve people that are running businesses that that's their gig. And so that's actually one of the decision points when I launched out on my own. So I, I think we we glossed over uh, or or skimmed past the uh, your own background and experience with ADHD. Yeah, it, my son, who's now 20, and my ex-husband both have attention deficit disorder. And I knew when I was dating my now ex-husband, you know, 20 some years ago, 23 years ago, he had been diagnosed late in life, uh, well, late uh, in his 20s. And so I knew this was a part of, of his world. And so I wanted to understand it more. So I started doing some research and wanting to understand it. And then when our son, uh, I just realized fairly early on that he was going to struggle a bit with ADD. And so I, I decided after, you, you know, when you first start out in parenting, you know nothing, right? And, and you're like, I'm just trying to figure this gig out as I go. But then I realized that my son was moving through the world differently than the other kids. And I tried to paint the picture of here's what it's like to be successful in school based on my experience. And then I realized that wasn't going to work for him. So I went to work trying to figure out how to be a good parent in parenting who he was going to grow up to be as an adult, not to try to conform and fit into the expectations of a school environment that didn't always fit his needs. And so between my research in the early days of of dating someone and marrying someone with ADD to what it was like to parent someone with ADD. I just, I did a ton of research, a ton of interviews, really just entrenched myself into understanding as much as I could about the ADD brain and how, how we could be complementary, not competitive as, as a parent and a child and, and thinking about what life was going to be like for him as an adult, not just getting through algebra in the eighth grade. And, and so from all of that research in my world of consulting and working and helping others build relationships, I, I came up with a couple of decent models and a decent framework that worked not only for us, but others. And so I created a video-based training for parents to help them really focus on the relationship with their kids. I didn't focus on what's the cause or how you should treat it. Because one, I don't think we'll ever know the cause. And two, there's no treatment that fits everyone. So those weren't my spaces. But how do you, how do you parent, parent that in a way that there's no shame in it and that you raise really confident kids that can use their gifts? Yes. So are you a person prone to uh, deep dives when you're interested in a topic? Not as much as you are, I'm sure. <laughs> I ask because the the girl that I'm dating right now is if she thinks something is important, like, for example, when she found out I was ADHD or I was uh, bipolar, she researches. She goes on like day, week long research kind of binges, not in an unhealthy way, but she learns very quickly more than I know about a topic. She learns more about the way that I'm going to act than I know. And well, I was sensing a little of that as you were describing. Well, I'm about context, 
not the topic itself. So if there's a topic that's important to me because it has context for us in a relationship or in a project or in a business, yeah, I'll go all in. But but those folks that just go deep dive into a topic because it's interesting to them on its own, like, you know, are you one of those people that can quote movies that you've seen 12 years ago and you remember every cool movie quote? Yes. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't memorize that or because it doesn't have any context for me. It doesn't have any connection to something else for me. So I wouldn't deep dive into something like that, but if it's something that's going to be, you know, because our relationship or because of our business project, yeah, then I can go. All so in. you would draw a line between interesting and important. Maybe <laughs> most most of what I deep dive into is not important. In fact, it often has nothing to do with the goal I was trying to accomplish when it became interesting. <laughs> but it does make you more interesting that you can pepper those quotes in other situations <laughs> that I find interesting, but I just wouldn't pay the price to memorize it or learn it. I think the word you're looking for is either annoying or infuriating. No, no, no. Now, if it was the only thing you knew about, that would be annoying and infuriating. Sure. But if it's just peppered in amongst other stuff, it's super cool. So uh, I during your TEDx talk, um, you talked about kind of the, uh, this, the way that you're handling schooling with your child uh, or handled, I guess, now that he's 20, but... Uh, the idea of kind of the assembly line public school method versus what an ADHD kid needs. I, I'd like to just give you a, a couple minutes here to, to describe that in brief. Yeah, it's and, and I'm, here I'll do a quick disclaimer. Public schools. I'm I'm a huge fan of schools for a lot of reasons. I think our society would be in big trouble without the public schools. So let me just go that far. However, not all kids are the same. Not all of them learn the same, but the public school system needs to create a, a system that wants all kids to be the same in order for it to be efficient because education is expensive. And so you can't go off and create the kind of education that each child needs or groups of kids need. So they go for if efficiency versus effectiveness. And so I, I call it the assembly line model of education. And I I'm pretty sure I got that from Seth Godin, by the way, I don't think that's mine. And what it does is it it puts you through this model that you know you start out at the beginning of the assembly line in kindergarten and you go through each year of your classes and if you get to the end of you know kindergarten and you graduate you get to go to first grade if you get to first grade you get but but each one of those grades are treated largely the same and so a lot of times you get kids with ADD or any kind of learning difference that are still brilliant kids and have amazing ideas and creativity, but they don't fit in the assembly line model. 
And so unfortunately for them and their fragile nature as a young child is they they take away this feeling of being a reject off the assembly line instead of feeling like they're just different in their learning styles. And I think, unfortunately, the unintended consequence for a lot of brilliant kids is they get told they're a reject from the assembly line, and then they take that as meaning that they're not smart or that they're not capable and shouldn't use their creativity. And we we do a lot of damage, I think, in, in not being able to bring to bear the greatness that lies in those kids that don't do well on an assembly line model of education. I think it's fascinating to look at some of the greatest creators in modern history and and look at their GPAs. Mm-hmm. When we're measuring intelligence and uh, to to some extent, we're measuring creativity by this number that really only represents how well you can do homework, not how smart you are, but how well you focus. I never, never finished a homework assignment. The only reason I passed school was because I absorbed a lot of stuff, even if I couldn't pay attention and I could fake my way through tests. Uh, When it came to attendance and uh, actual like midterms, not great. Uh, participation I always got points in because I couldn't not talk. Ultimately, though, I, I came out with what could be considered uh, a just just barely average GPA, which I guess is honestly a lot better than a lot of ADD kids get. It's so true. And oftentimes, especially if they don't have parents or someone in their life early on that's encouraging to them, they go down a bad path because they feel like a failure. Yeah. And oftentimes the difference is just having someone in your corner, whether it's a an actual parent or whether it's a coach or an aunt or an uncle or just somebody that's able to say, You're you're fine. Don't don't get wrapped up in it. Keep being you. Um, and that makes me sad that so many people didn't make it through that. Yeah. I'm hoping this didn't happen to your kid, but for me, I, like your ex-husband, I wasn't diagnosed until my mid to late 20s. Um, so as a kid, I kept getting in trouble and I didn't I didn't have like a mean bone in my body as a kid. I didn't have <laughs> any ill will, but I kept getting in trouble to the point of like in-school suspension or suspension and... I didn't understand, like, I wasn't doing things to be bad, but eventually that became, well, hey, I'm going to get in trouble anyway. I'm just going to do this. And that obviously led to more trouble, uh, a lifetime of uh, uh, both internally feeling less than and then outwardly acting aggressively. It led to years of addiction and drug abuse. And it is okay. I'll back up because I don't expect you to have a response to that yet. Um, I got to tell you in first grade, I, my teacher suggested to my parents that I might not be cut out for public schools. And I was in a position, fortunately, uh, with a grandfather who was a chemist at Monsanto in the 60s. 
there was enough money available uh, to send me to a private school. And I went to a school called Emerson, uh, obviously based on Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, schooling uh, theories, which was mm-hmm. uh, also Henry David Thoreau, I would actually say was more of the source of these. But this idea that you let kids, you take them for a walk in the woods and you see what questions they ask and then you help them figure out how to answer those questions for themselves. So you take what the kid is interested in at the time and you give them the tools to explore it and go as deep as they want into it. And I went to a school that it gave us the bare minimum, uh, like standardized curriculum. If you can do these fractions, you're fine. Now let's go out and find stuff to learn. That was amazing for me until I got dumped back into public schools in fifth grade. (laughs) I think without second, third and fourth grade in the public schools, that was a harsh transition for me. But that learning style, I, I believe that's probably not great for everyone, but it was perfect for me. Well, and you're describing, it's it's kind of often known as a Montessori method of, of learning as well. Teach kids around their interests, not around a standard curriculum. And so I took our son out of public school after sixth grade and put him into a Montessori environment. Same scenario. Unfortunately, as you experience, those types of schools are largely available for the younger kids. And when you get into middle and high school, there aren't as many options. I actually tried to start a charter school that was based on that same method and more of an entrepreneurial endeavor using Montessori methods coupled with the Franklin Covey leadership principles that I was teaching. And I got through a couple of rounds of approval locally and and the model was great. I had a great board of directors, but a couple of things happened. The funding was going to be like a million dollars short every year because of the way that school funding is. And every time I'd go to one of the meetings with the educators, I just would get so frustrated that there was such little logic in the way I was trying to say, look, I'm trying to educate kids on what their future is going to be, not to get them a good GPA. And they didn't like that so much. And so I just finally said, I don't think we should be in a relationship together. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think this is working. Yes. I just, it's not you. It's me. Yeah. Right. Um, And so that I am passionate today about still looking for opportunities. In fact, I had a meeting this morning with a gentleman that's doing some amazing things in the school system and actually partnering with people like Gary Vee and Seth Godin and and getting their attention in in the way that he's educating entrepreneurs at the high school level. Same as Don Wetrick, like keep that name on on your list because he's he's going to do amazing things. And so I'm so passionate about this endeavor. I just haven't figured out um, exactly what the right answer is yet. As we mentioned, or as I mentioned, and you agreed with, uh, there's a huge number of very successful people that didn't do well in school that are ADHD. Um, what, what do you think it would take for the focus to shift from the grade point average to actual accomplishment? What do you think it will take for our system to acknowledge that and make s- specific changes? Not even starting with the system, I guess, so much as with 
uh, public perception. It feels like if you say, you know, the CEO of this Fortune 500 company barely made it through like 10th grade, people should say, oh, well, maybe getting a 4.0 doesn't matter. Well, there there are two things that are that are working in, in, in this. One, I think there is more of a movement than there's ever been today with putting that kind of message out into the world. And people like Gary Vee, he's doing an amazing job of telling that story on a broad scale, right? I mean, he's in everybody's face telling that story. What we're working against a lot of times is parents have this, and I always tell my clients, beliefs are not always truths. And parents have this belief that if I'm a good parent, I get my kid into a good school, they get good grades, they'll get into a good college, they'll have a good job, they'll marry a good spouse, they'll have good kids. And if that happens, then I was a good parent. And so sometimes the only measure of effectiveness that you feel like you have as a parent is, are my kids getting good grades? And that is a bigger restraining force, I think, than anything else that we need to fight against to make that movement a reality. So what happens is, is I think kind of what happened with you is you went through all of the challenges and all of the crap and then woke up one day as an adult and said, I don't have to do it this way. I can use my gifts and talents, but you had to swim through the, the hard parts to get to the good parts. And, and so some of our, our folks do that, but I think parenting is, is a bigger challenge in getting there than anything else. So as much as I find all of your uh, knowledge and philosophies very hopeful, if nothing else, I want all the parents who listen to this podcast to hear, to hear this. Um, you gave an anecdote in your TEDx talk about uh, your son getting a D in, I believe, English. Will you yeah. j just tell that again? Because that to me was emblematic and your response was extremely heartening. So he started out the class with the, the standardized testing, right, that, that the schools need to measure their success. And he was. He was reading as a senior and writing as a sophomore, as a sixth grader you know, B pluses in the beginning. And most of that, re the re not, not most, all of the reason that it wasn't an A is just, I forgot to turn in my homework assignment, which was his ADTA, <laughs> right? So he did the work, always did the work. He's a good kid. He's never even lied. He tells on himself all the time if he even tries to lie. He's a good kid. And by the end of the class, he had a D, not because he wasn't still as intelligent and, and knew all those things, because he wasn't able to get a lot of his homework turned in. And in fact, one of the dings he got on his grade was for um, the quality of his handwriting, that the teacher <laughs> actually couldn't read a couple of his worksheets that he did get turned in. I'm like, holy crap, he finally gets it turned in and now you're dinging him because his handwriting's not good enough? Kill me right now. And so it, it, he was feeling like he was dumb, were his words. And so we had to have a really frank conversation in sixth grade about, I'm sorry that the education system isn't able to support the way that your brain functions. And in fact, 
you're not only one of the smartest kids in the class, of which he questioned. And I said, hold on. And I pulled out the standardized test that I had in a file in my office and I showed him. I'm like, look, this, this right here, if you need proof from the school, here it is. And you're also one of the hardest working kids in the class because you have to work against the way that your brain operates to work in the system called school. And it was an epiphany for him that, you know, he, school was telling him he was dumb were his words. And my heart just broke. And I vowed that day, it was the last day of sixth grade when he got off the bus and he looked like he'd just been beaten. And I said, I, I won't send my kid back there. But, you know, at the time, I didn't even know there were other education options available. I was the parent that put the kid on the bus that showed up in the front of the house. Yeah. Because that. That's what worked for me. I was a public school kid. I turned out okay. I didn't know any different until I needed something different. And then I went on a research of what are my other options. And that's how we ended up in the Montessori school. Yeah. I, uh, I went PSEO in high school, uh, post-secondary education options, which meant I took classes at the college uh, instead of the high school for the same, for both college and high school credit. And the way the way into that was standardized testing. Uh, my ACT score got me into that despite having like a 3.0 GPA at the time. Um, so I I found that the more relaxed uh, kind of environment of college classes worked for me in most cases. I did very poorly in microeconomics because well, because microeconomics, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, the thing I heard most often, both in those classes and through uh, high school, uh, it started It started probably my freshman year of high school. But the thing I heard most often is Brett isn't living up to his potential or isn't working up to his potential because teachers could see that I was smart. They could see that like they they knew that I could do this, but I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to complete the homework assignments. I wasn't able to to perform the kind of menial tasks of education. But think about the way they framed it up to your potential. In fact, what they were saying is you weren't living up to meeting their standards in their system and means of education. Right. Yeah. Which by saying it the way that they say it, your potential means you own that. And, and, and it could be with a great amount of shame, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I can't, I can't take it. Like that drives me insane. I honestly thought I was an idiot. Like I dropped out of college and went to uh, art school. I mean, still college, but I thought I can draw, you know, I can't do math homework, but I can draw. And so I did that. I did graduate from that but I honestly did not believe I was smart until I had some success as a, a programmer and turns out there are a lot of people now who think I'm smart and it's still a hard thing for me to accept and it's still a hard thing for you to accept that statement right there is why sometimes I don't sleep at night like that some not all beliefs are truths so someone told you something that you thought was truth and now you've grown to believe it and own it and you've had to work against it. 
Like that's the part that I just get worked up about for our kids. Yeah. And I found myself getting worked up enough for other people's kids that I got a vasectomy (laughs) because I didn't want to see this happen to someone else. Harsh. <laughs> you know, that's that's not necessarily a response that I would condone, but if it's working for you, that's that's good. It's that's a decision good. I can stand by, yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that's where we'd get to in this conversation? Oh, you'd be amazed where these conversations go. <laughs> oh, my I, I, honestly, I think my ADD makes me a, a decent podcast host. It was one of the sort of careers when my son was taking some of his first testing to determine if he had ADD only because it was going to, you know, allow me to prove to somebody else other than me knowing it as his mom that it was. And the, the tester, the psychologist or whatever he was, I can't remember said public speaking is a great talent for my son's name is Cameron. Um, because of that, your ability to start anywhere and go everywhere and play off of whatever comes at you um, is a real gift of the ADD mind. So you're using it for all kinds of goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> That's really, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. That that explains a lot for me. That yeah. actually, I think um, that translates into, like I always said that in college, I just majored in BS because I could BS my way into a decent grade in any class. And I was really good. Essentially, it's manipulation, but also I'm just really good at on the spot taking a piece of information and running with it, uh, verbally at least. And that led to uh, being able to talk myself into a B when I had, you know, upon the start of the meeting, a C minus. I guess that is that that I that speaks to ADD. No, 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 no. Let me reframe that one. That's not BS. That's that's context. That's connection. So you you've made a connection with whatever you were learning, and then leverage that to go with the relationship to the, the the teacher, professional, whatever it was. Whereas a lot of kids are just heads down, so worried about GPA, they never have a real conversation with the teacher to connect and build context. So uh, in the real world environment, I'd much rather have someone that can go and have a connection and a conversation that leverages a greater outcome than somebody that can teach to the test. That's not all that valuable in the real world. I didn't mean to turn you into my therapist. I'm sorry. Um. No, I just, this stuff just drives me crazy that it's out there and it's, I don't know. Yeah. I get worked up about it. So one of the uh, statistics that I've seen you list is that ADHD people in relationships are three times more likely to get divorced and a higher rate of addiction. Do you know why? Oh, I, I don't, I don't know the enough to say it with any amount of facts and data, but the big answer is when you don't, well, a lot of what you just articulated, when you don't feel like you fit in and you don't, don't feel like you belong, it creates disconnection. And as a species, we're wired for connection. And when we disconnect, it creates 
challenging things. And oftentimes the drug use is a way to self-medicate and feel connected either to a certain group of people that have accepted you, which might be around the drug use, or just to numb yourself and not have to feel the disconnection is, is the high level answer to that. And then I think the divorce thing is just if you haven't paid the price to understand, you know, each other's brains and language and, and the way they see the world, it, it, it's hard. It just, it, it makes life hard. I, 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 I I'm going to, I'm going to tell another quick story because apparently <laughs> this podcast is about me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the woman that I'm with now uh, is the reason that it's working, whereas my marriage did not, uh, is we are, we spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out why a conflict happened rather than focusing on the conflict and figuring out why, why there's a disconnect in the way we're communicating and solving those. And the result for me is really feeling connected for the first time. And it's been, even, even when it comes to like physical relationship, realizing that it's not just sex that I want, it's a connection and reframing what I consider needs as, as a desire for connection changes the game completely. This has been the healthiest thing I've ever done for myself. And I think it does all come down to finding ways to connect when it's not necessarily uh, your natural state. I love that. I mean, the connection piece is huge. I mean, that's, you know, Brene Brown has been. Oh, really- man, that's my girlfriend's favorite. Oh, it was, she's enlightened so many of us into this, you know, shame breaks down connection. And so when you're raised in a, with a, a difference like ADD, where all of your messages from the factory model of education to your parents being frustrated to, to nobody really gets you. And if you have a, the kind of shame-based response where you put up so many walls, some people never get to where you are, where you've allowed connection to happen again. Some people just say, you know what? Anytime I let my guard down, somebody hurts me and makes me feel bad about myself. So I'm just going to be kind of a jerk about life and do my own thing. And connection is bad. That's exactly where I was at before my divorce. And I know, yeah, I was going to say, I know people like that are brilliant, but have just said, you know what? It's too much trouble. It hurts. And just like putting my hand on the stove, you do it a couple of times and you realize I'm not going to keep doing that. Yeah. And now you, you've opened yourself up to somebody who said, hold on, you know, connection's still good. Let's look at how we can do things differently. That's brilliant. I love it. I, I, I will say it, it was not my own stroke of genius. I found myself in a situation where that was, it was necessary beyond, like I really wanted to be with Elle. There were differences in the way that we communicated, the way we thought, the way we approached everything that needed examination. And I was in a, place in my life where I wasn't going to just walk away out of frustration. And I put the, I put the work in, she put the work in and together we did, we found something that I do think is, I think it's something that a lot of people like me never do find. I kind of want to write it all down. Well, 
You should, because it's an important message that a lot of people could resonate with. And I think there's a couple of components there. You'd gone through enough pain that you said, you know what, I, I, I got to do it different. Like this isn't a sustainable model for me. And you met someone, it sounds like through L that has really studied this idea of connection and what it means. And so to me, it's about the intentionality of working together to, to, to do that. Right. If you both have that intention that says, you know what, life's not perfect. Neither one of us are perfect and we're going to have conflict. But let's intentionally decide what connection means to us and how we move through that. God, that's good stuff. <laughs> well, thank you. Um... Hey, and by, the way, and by the way, I'm ordained as a minister online. So if you need somebody <laughs> to do the, the ceremony, if it gets to that, you know, let me know. I can. <laughs> I will I can. let you know. I, uh, <laughs> after my divorce, I, I said, I'm never getting married again, but I Everybody found... says that after a divorce, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I found a little distance from that, uh, that immediate pain has softened that idea. But so back to you, there's, I have one last, uh, topic. What is the badass women's council? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Cause I was going to work it in whether you asked. <laughs> So when I was leaving corporate America, I knew I was going to need a tribe. I was going to go crazy being on my own. And so I started looking again, intentionally, that's another one of my favorite words of the, of the year, maybe the decade at people who were doing things that I knew I wanted to do and kind of saw the world the way I saw it. Because even though I spent most of my career in corporate America, I'm wildly creative and I needed to use more of that creativity. So I was looking for entrepreneurs, creative people. And I just started looking around in my community for, for people like that. And I even prayed about it. I was like, God, bring me, bring me a tribe, please. And I found in a very short period of time, seven women. And that was kind of a happy accident. I were, I really wasn't intentionally just saying, Hey, I don't, it's only going to be women, but these are folks that we all are female entrepreneurs. That's the tie that binds. And we come together, we meet every month and we invest in each other's businesses, lives, peace of mind, uh, financial model. I mean, we're just completely invested in each other's success in a way that is netting the most amazing benefits, both emotionally and financially that I have ever seen in a very, like in nine months, the quantifiable impact of this group has been amazing. And so from that, I'm looking at ways to write about it, podcast about it, really just build a brand around this badass women's council, because it's, it's more than just better together or God forbid me too, where you bond around that pain, but it's saying, how can you intentionally help each other grow and be better? And we're really figuring out some cool ways to do that. And I'm so excited about the journey that we're all on. That is, I, I wish for a tribe like that. And that's when people meet us or hear any of us talking about it, that's what they say. Because again, it's about connection, right? And so I look around at all these people and I know that they've got my back. There's no cattiness. There's no, I mean, even if you feel that pang of 
it's not really competition. It's just when one of us has, has a success, there's a part of you that goes, man, I, I want that too. But it's not in a competitive way. It's, you know, you want it, but you know, you're going to get it because they're going to help. They're going to circle back and help you get it. Like, it's just the coolest thing ever. A very, in business terms, synergistic relationship. Oh, and a Franklin Covey term <laughs> as well. So there you go. And probably the most used Dilbert cartoon where that <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And then just throw in, in the cloud in your set. <laughs> well, one of my badasses, she teaches people, uh, you know, she does speaking and presence. And one of the movements that she's personally dedicated to is eliminating corporate speak and trying to teach leaders, even within corporate America, that you sound like an idiot when you talk like that. Yeah. Like, be authentic. Just say what you mean. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to do that. Like, well, it's just, they're so scripted. They're just like, what do you mean? Because a how lot of those words don't actually mean anything. You can't <laughs> translate them because they have no real meaning. Which is why they sound like they're sketchy. Right. And that's the lack of trust that exists in corporate America because they just won't talk plain. Right. I, yeah. I, 100%. I, I agree with that. And I'm glad there's someone out there making a, uh, a career out of ceasing it. She is. Yeah. Alex is, she has a movement going on that for sure. Nice. <laughs> All right. This week's episode of Systematic is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen. On June 12th, Smile celebrated 15 years of making productivity software and providing fast, friendly service to customers. PDF Pen 1.0 debuted at Macworld San Francisco in 2004, and it was a groundbreaking improvement to PDF editors at that time. Fast forward to 2018, and the latest PDF Pen, version 10, includes watermarking, headers and footers, a precision edit tool, and more. PDF Pen Pro 10 adds batch OCR, making bulk OCR a snap. It even adds AppleScript support for the new features, including batch OCR in PDF Pen Pro. To keep up with all the developments in PDF Pen, visit smilesoftware.com podcast. Thanks again to Smile and PDF Pen. Well, that brings us to the top three picks, which I, I will let everyone know that when we started the pre-show conversation, you didn't know about because I am, I have been uh, really bad this week about uh, pre-show contact and follow-up, but you within, uh, I think it was about 48 seconds you had nailed down your three picks, which I find very admirable. And uh, uh, so if you want to roll with that, then. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the tenets of uh, the Badass Women's Council that we've uh, determined is decisiveness. We may not always make the right choice, but we're going to make a choice and then live with it in whatever way we need to. So I'm, I'm all about being decisive. So there you go. So top three picks. My first pick. Her name is Cy Wakeman, C-Y Wakeman. I found her from a TEDx talk that she did at South by Southwest this year on LinkedIn. And 
I just fell in love with her sarcasm and wit is, is one big draw, but also the work that she's doing. She comes from the healthcare industry and she also has, uh, I think a psychologist, psychiatrist, so I don't know, some, some kind of other legit background, but anyway, she is measuring the impact of drama in the workplace and quantifying it. And the way that she speaks and the way that she takes this stuff that has become, you know, the corporate speak norm and puts it into such plain practical terms that you can't ignore and you then have to do something about is just, I'm on fire for her. She's got her own consulting business and speaking business, and she's written a ton of books, reality-based leadership. Um, but one of the, the facts that she speaks about is, you know, in, in corporate America, somebody inevitably will walk by your office and say, you got a minute? Yeah. And, no, and, and no bigger lie has ever been told, right? It's never a minute. And so she has measured that and real, and now knows that got a minute conversations on average last 45 minutes. Wow. And, and, and the kinds of conversation that happens there is largely a drama based conversation. And so she's measuring the impact of that on business and saying, you know, there's, there's, there's better ways to do this. Like stop, it's dumb. And I just, I love her is the short answer of my Cy Wakeman love. That this is, I've never heard of Cy. This is new to me. I'm looking Good. through the, uh, Amazon page. It, it does appear she has written a ton of books. I would be curious to find more about this. Uh, do you know offhand if she has a webpage? She does. Uh, it's no ego is her last book. And I, so I think there's a website around, uh, no ego.com. But if you, if you search for her last Ted talk at South by Southwest, I actually, I listened to the entire thing. It's an hour and was just mesmerized by the entire thing. Uh, there are Ted talks that are an hour long. Well, actually it wasn't a Ted talk. It was a South by Southwest talk okay. thing that she did. I don't know. No, it was not a Ted talk, but she has a Ted talk. I think, I don't know. Uh, I just found one called BMW driving. I'm not sure. It's the first. Yeah, that's, that's one of her uh, metaphors that she's, that she uses. Um, okay. I mean, I had 48 seconds to prepare. I don't have all of my in detail. No, down. I'm asking out of <laughs> curiosity, not by. <laughs> <laughs> well, she talks about a drive-by. So she, something about, you know, the BMW is, is the version of just like a drive-by about some topic. I, 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 you know, there, there's this. Oh, I can't she was the keynote at the last South by. I Wow. Okay. No, it's no like ego. Cut the cost of drama and drive big results. Found it. Yes, that. Cool. And I consumed her uh, on my next Audible credit. I consumed her no ego book on the way to speaking at one of my gigs. She's she's good stuff. Nice. All right. I'm I'm very curious. Uh, L, who we mentioned earlier, works as a a coach. Uh, in addition to other things, but uh, her her coaching is really around, I guess, communication in the workplace. The facilitation that she does within the workplace is about communication. And I really, I feel like there's a lot of stuff here that 
any any coach, whether you're working on biz dev, leadership, uh, workplace happiness, a lot of the stuff that it looks like Sai is talking about is valuable information. And she seems like someone she seems like someone L would be super into. And Alex loves her, too, because she talks plain. Yeah, she just, she just tells it like it is. I'm from Minnesota. I, I appreciate that in anybody. We're a plain speaking people here. <laughs> All right. So my first pick is going to be out of my three picks. This is the only real tech pick. Um, I just I got the it's sold by iValux, V-A-L-U-X. I just needed a flush mount uh, Qi charger for my iPhone. Uh, so like wireless charger. And this one actually, it's a flat disc that has the cable running out of the bottom. So you can mount it into a three inch diameter hole in a desk. I went the extra mile to uh, make it flush mounted with the desk instead of sticking out of a like three inch cap. I still have to rabbit a three eighth inch uh, hole around it. And then I have plans to 3D print tomorrow, actually, 3D print a uh, kind of holder for it that makes it perfectly stable and flush mounted in my desk. But the pick is just the charger itself, which is handily, uh, has the cable running out the bottom so you can drop it into any surface. You're such a geek. You have no idea. Except for, so most of the geeks I know go super deep dive into whatever they're into. Me, I deep dive until I'm into something else, which always makes me feel like I'm not as good at anything as any of the people who are able to focus on it for longer than I am. People who have made like, you know, 10-year careers out of something that I deep dove into for four days. (laughs) I like it. And, and, and you, you know, that particular thing really, really well. So good. (laughs) Well, whereas with my pick, you ask one level below, I love Cy Wakeman. And I already was like, the wheels were falling off. I couldn't quote her. It was the wrong TEDx. Like I, I I couldn't do it. Like you, you were all in, like you were just boom, all in. I like it. Yeah. Well, I I had an hour to think about mine. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. All right. So what's your second pick? Okay, my second pick is another person, but I'm I'm still kind of in love with Simon Sinek, even though he's been around for a little while. Like I can't stop listening to him. It I is it is it just his accent that has me mesmerized, secretly hoping he's gonna ask me out for wine? Or is it the fact that I love the whole find your why starting point instead of just going to the what and the how, because that speaks to me and my consulting business and my coaching business. I don't know what it is specifically about him, but I have a, a, a pretty healthy infatuation with things that are happening, happening with Simon Sinek these days. Okay. So author of start with why. Yeah. And find your why is the little handbook follow up to that. And I actually tomorrow morning have a meeting with uh, a 
friend partner of mine that we do a lot of business projects together and and we're going to go through the process. He's going to walk through the three hour helping me articulate my specific why um, from the stuff that I'm reading on Mr. Sinek. So uh, it, it appears he is British. You have a thing for British accent. I, I guess I didn't know I did, but I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why I'm so like hooked on him. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe I was wondering if maybe that was it, but I don't know. I know I, I have friends. I have friends in London that I'm not as infatuated with and I can call and talk to them anytime. So I don't, sure. I know a lot of British assholes. There are a few of those. I know some of those as well. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe Simon's an asshole and I just don't know it because that's not what he puts on LinkedIn. That's a possibility. I do find that uh, less often used in uh, resumes. You think? Yeah. Oh, born in Wimbledon too. Johannesburg. <laughs> He's moved around. All right. So I, I don't, I know nothing about Simon Sinek. Yeah. What an unfortunate last name for the kind of work he does, but yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, There's irony there. And I find, I find I'm the only one that calls that out, which I think is also interesting. Like nobody else is talking about how ironic that is. I will say that I trust a cynic and a skeptic more <laughs> than I trust an overly enthusiastic person, especially when yeah. it comes to this self-help kind of stuff. Which is a real thing, which is why you should speak with authenticity because people are going to go Google you and go to the internet and try to find your stuff. So you might as well just be upfront about all your stuff rather than trying to hide it. That's what, that's an actual thing. So how, 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 how far back does your um, kind of on, if people Google you, how far back does it go? <laughs> I've tested that out. Um you want to know why I tested it out? You want to know a little known fact about Rebecca that I'll just put out? Absolutely. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but here we go. This is going to tell my age too, which is frightening. I worked at the hotel that hosted the very first MTV spring break in Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> and I served beer out of a baby pool full of ice in hip waders and I bartended and I was having the time of my life. And so what I do know is I could find no pictures of me doing that in what was it? 1980 seven, six or seven. So I know it doesn't go back that far. How's that? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not sure what that does to my credibility as a consultant coach, but the fact I would, is the fact. I would never hire a coach that I didn't feel had been in situations that I could relate to. And granted, like, MTV spring breaks, not something I relate to, but in a situation that was maybe uh, embarrassing, yet somehow fascinating in their past. That that's yeah, actually important to me. Yeah. It, and it was an accident. I had moved down there and I was looking for a job. I, I moved down there because I was, you know, I was signed up in a communications major at a 
reputable university. I was going to do life the way that you were supposed to do it. And then I just decided not to. Um, and so I went, I went back and got my education later. I uh, filled in some blanks. It's all fine. I'm legit, but it's, um, it was an accident. I just was looking for a job and it was a waitressing job and I didn't, nobody knew what it was because it was new. It was the first time. Sure. And then all of a sudden, you know, my mom in Indiana is hearing from her friends that they saw me on TV in the background of some event that was taking place on MTV. And my mom was not all that proud of those moments. <laughs> but we've now that I have a healthy 401k and two great kids and everything's working out, she's finally realized that I'm going to be okay. So how do we get from Simon Sinek to my MTV days? I don't know, but that, that was my number two. What's your number two? Welcome to an ADHD podcast. My number two is somatics. It is a general concept, a, a, a field of study of the way that the body moves. Um, I, should, I should look this up on Wikipedia to describe it. Um, a field within body work and movement studies, which emphasizes internal physical perception and experience. I just started taking a class at my preferred yoga studio called Soma Yoga, which combines somatics and yoga. And somatics, I'm learning, focuses on tiny movements. Uh, like for the, the first class, we focused on pelvic movements. And these very slow, very small, very intentional movements that make you realize exactly how, in this case, how, how your spine stacks up, how, where your natural stance is, and it's amazing how we're talking movements within like an inch. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you do them very slowly and you, you find where the, the weak points are. Like if you lay on the ground with your, your knees bent and you are to uh, move your knee back and forth, you know, one to two inches and do it very slowly, you'll find that there are places where it stutters, where it jumps between positions and, concentrating on these and really working out these finer muscle movements teaches you where the, um, I guess, muscular and skeletal kind of uh, uh, weaknesses in you are, but also you begin to realize very sharply how, how your body moves. And this has been a fascinating area for me, and I'm just now dipping my toes in it. Um, I've had people show me some of these exercises in the past, but right now, like, I'm very excited for next Tuesday's class to really dig into the next body part and find out how enlightening it can be. It, like, I, I do yoga regularly, and something as simple as a half rise uh, after, like, a forward fold and then a half rise to really focus on how your spine is reacting during that half rise to like an upside down L shape. It's, it's amazing. Like you can learn so much and it affects everything you do all day. And how did you come upon this? Was it from somebody in your yoga class that, Hey, you should try this. What was the catalyst to get there? Okay. So L my girlfriend yeah. is also the manager of the yoga studio that I go to. And, um, she had been taking these somatics courses and there's actually a, a massage therapist slash uh, 
I don't I don't know what to call she's she's a professional dancer uh who works there and she does these like one hour somatics consultations. So Elle had done those and she had been attending Aries class at the local university on on somatics. And when Aries, when she convinced Aries to come on and teach somatics at uh, Infinity Yoga Studio, I had an easy in. So I, she had kind of informed me about what she was learning over time. And then suddenly the person that she'd been going to see was available to teach at a time that I could make. And it was kind of a given for me. That's super cool. But uh, essentially, uh, I had I had been receiving uh, snippets of this information over time. I- I'm interested in that. I'm a runner, and I struggle with IT band syndrome and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's what I learned, what's just interesting, I think is tied into what you're talking about, is that where you experience pain, so oftentimes it's in a knee pain when you're talking about IT band syndrome. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the root cause of it is typically your hips are out of the line. But people go in and, and try to to alleviate the knee pain thinking they have a knee problem. We well, don't have a knee right. problem. It's, it's the alignment issue. Totally. And, and then reading further on that, realizing that alignment actually causes all kinds of other even organ issues. Like your body is the most fascinating ecosystem there is. And to just know that, you know, slight tweaks and adjustments like you're talking about can make a significant difference. Yeah. So the woman uh, that I was talking about, the professional dancer, um, is actually the person that I think of first when you talk about having a pain in one place, but realizing that the problem is another, she, she can sense that stuff and she can help you find it so quickly and so well. So yeah, like all the knee problems I ever had did originate in my hips. Mm-hmm, mine too. My ankle problems originated in my hips and finding those definitely. I had sciatica a couple of years ago. I was convinced that I had thrown my lower back out and then I was convinced that my left knee was bum and ultimately it was all my IT band. Do you do yoga at all? I do. And I've been off my game uh, recently and I'm feeling the impact of that. Yeah. Like for most of the runners I know who do yoga, a, a lot of the the things they were stretching out to try to prevent certain pains they were stretching out the wrong thing and causing more problems. Yeah. 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 But it's not been a problem because my, my running career currently is like two miles (laughs) instead of my normal eight or nine old days of training for half marathons. So it's not really all of that much of a challenge for me right now. Um, I got to get back on my game all the way around in fitness. Got to start working on my fitness. Running eight to nine miles is, I, I don't ever plan to do that. I've, <laughs> I've gotten in good shape. I can, I have a lot of strength. Uh, Cardio is not my strong point and running hurts and gets boring fast for me. So God. Uh, <laughs> and you know, distance running isn't a fitness game. Actually didn't or distance running is actually pretty hard on your body. Distance running is a mind game. It's a, it's a, 
it's all mind game. It's telling yourself you're going to do something and then making yourself do it even when it sucks. <laughs> it's it's masking pain in your other parts of your life to be able to say, hey, I need to go on a four hour run today so I can't really be with you like you wanted me to. Like distance running is not about running. It's about something. Else. Yeah. That's a, there's a podcast. <laughs> I I, do, I have a friend who his day job is postal carrier and his hobby all the time is running. And when pe- people start See? talking to me about nipples bleeding, uh, about about like <laughs> vomit breaks, pausing your run to vomit, like these things do n- I don't understand. See, it's about something else. The first I took my son when he was about nine years old to volunteer for a race and we were doing split times and we were at the, we were at the, the end of the marathon part of the race. And so there were, there was some nipple bleeding experiences that he witnessed and the look on his face of sheer terror the first time that happened. And he just looked at me like, what in God's name has my mother brought me to and why? So we had to have a, a nipple bleeding conversation. I hadn't really planned for that as part of my parenting. <laughs> Who does? <Actually. laughs> Who does? All right. So what's your uh, third pick? Speaking of yoga, my next yoga that I've been invited to that we haven't gone yet is goat yoga. So <laughs> we should talk about that. I, uh... <laughs> We're baby that... goats. Walk is that your, your pick or is this just a, an add-on? Um, I'm going to make it my pick now because it's more interesting than my actual <laughs> pick. So my friend, number three, goat yoga. So my friend reached out to me. She's an animal enthusiast, like all animals. She has animals. She goes on like safari. She goes to swim with the dolphins. Like anything that has an animal involved, she's, uh, she's amazed by it. So she messages me the other day and she says, look, I need you to go to goat yoga with me. I'm pretty sure out of all my friends, you're the only one that will go. So I'm not sure what that says about me that I'm the first pick for goat yoga. I think that is a compliment. I think so too. I'm going to run with it. So I looked it up and I said, okay, well, it's like, it's only 20 bucks. So, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not a full in investment if it sucks. So I'll go. And she promised me brunch after. So that's good. And little baby goats or maybe they're not babies they're just goats they you know as you're doing your yoga poses they get up on your back and i i don't it's a it's a thing it's an I actual have, thing. i've seen many yes. photos of goat yoga yeah. i will say goats are one of my favorite animals if i like i my dog recently passed away and i currently i heard that so sorry yeah that was that was a whole experience. Like I, that was the first time I really learned about grieving. I had uh, glossed over multiple friends and family deaths and not really dealt with them until Emma died. And then all of a sudden I was like, I should understand how grieving works. Um, so I, I learned a lot through that, but I'm currently, I'm left with my absolute favorite animal, which is a cat. And trying to figure out like I, I need animals in my life. I, I strongly desire Same. animals in my life. And while my, um, my immediate thought is I'm going to get Guinea pigs, which I love. Uh, but they are, I feel like I would develop less attachment to them than I did to like a dog or a cat. Um, 
which probably isn't yeah. true. I have friends that would argue with me on that. But goats are the animal. Goats and potbelly pigs, I guess, hold an equal amount of. If I could provide for either one, that's what I would get. I had goats when I was a kid. I grew up on a farm in Indiana. And we had baby goats, Jack and Jill, that their mom died having them. And so we had to bottle feed them. And they hmm. they would come in the house and, the, you know, we would feed them in the house because we lived on that kind of farm um, where anything that wasn't doing well outside, we just brought it inside. Yeah. And so go- goats are pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm a fan of the goat thing. That's good. I just, I'm, I'm not sure goat yoga is what I had on my list, but I do now. So when you're in a plank... And there's a goat standing on your back. Does it hurt? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to report back, though, and let I, you know. I would like to know. It seems like it would hurt. I looked at the faces of the people as that was happening when I was looking at the videos. And they are laughing or smiling, which right? I've laughed and smiled out of pain <laughs> and coping. So I'm not sure if I can take that as a truth, but it's. But it's going to be an interesting in experience. all the pictures everywhere. They're always smiling. It can't well, hurt. Just, you're not going to post the ones where they're sobbing online <laughs> as a marketing effort. I feel Sales like at, at this point with goat yoga as 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 popular as it is on places like Instagram, someone would have posted, hey, this actually is really painful. The dark side of goat <laughs> yoga. That, if there's going to be one, that's the podcast we're going to do next. That's it. I'm going to go. And if there's a dark side, I promise to call you and say, I got it. It's the I, dark side. Of I, I will wait to hear from you. Because I want to know how, how do they keep them from pooping during the session? Like, where does the goat poop go? Like, you don't just say, hey, goat, you can't poop for the next hour. Like, well, what does that look like? I well, have to assume you accept... You just sign the waiver that says I'm okay with goat poop? I assume that people understand animals are going to do that. The book that says that. On, uh, I don't know. That's questions. I'm currently on goatyoga.net. <laughs> and it says they might jump on your back, stare into your soul, burp in your ear, or give you goat hugs. Parentheses. Trust me, it's a thing. Most often, they'll just lay down on your yoga mat and snuggle up next to you just as you perfect your pose. The, it, I do cat yoga. No mention of poop. Right. I, 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 again, I feel like it's something you have to assume. So are they, are they giving them like medicine that keeps them from pooping? And now no. we have to go down the dark side of they're harming the goats as a part of goat yoga movement. That could be the dark side of goat yoga. So I've taken many dogs through like canine good citizen tests. Mm -hmm. And in those tests, pooping indoors, pooping during the test at any point is an immediate disqualification. So I've, yes. you know, I'm used to making sure timing potty breaks such that by the time we get to the test they have nothing that they need to eliminate i assume there's a certain amount of that possible with goats but again i assume that people who sign up for goat yoga understand that goats are gonna poop everyone's been to a circus who knows <laughs> 
I'm gonna I'm going on an investigative series on the poop side of goat yoga, and I'm gonna report back. I I, I look forward to the hidden camera footage. Okay, you got it. <laughs> All right. <My> comp- <laughs> What's your number three? My number three, and this is a weird one for me because I am not a person. Okay, so the pick is kombucha. I am not a person who who ever thought they would like this hippie drink. I actually avoided it at the co-op for years like it would chase you down in the aisle and you would just run screaming from it or well like it would it would be in the fridge and i would avoid all the drinks in the fridge because the first thing i saw was kombucha and uh like i grew up as a punk rocker i hippies were the worst anyone who listened to the grateful (laughs) dead was not my friend uh my life now i am surrounded by crunchies like i pretty much only shop at the co-op. I go to the farmer's market. I make most of my own food. Like things have changed, but kombucha was one of the things I was holding out on because that was just the definitive like co-op hippie drink. Turns out though, like I recently, (laughs) I cut back on drinking. I don't drink beer at all during the week. And uh, I always love people say that during the week. Okay. Go ahead. Well, so yeah, it's a process, but and I, I, I stopped soda a long time ago. Uh, I will say I enjoy Lacroix, uh, the like carbonated water stuff, mostly because it has bubbles. But if we're honest, that stuff has no flavor at all. So right. when I finally tried kombucha and realized this is a powerfully flavorful beverage. With, you know, uh, lots of bubbles. I like the bubbles. And suddenly I was hooked. I do not at this point care at all about health benefits or any of the things it claims to cure. (laughs) But I am currently, with the help of Elle, uh, we are brewing a gallon of kombucha up in the kitchen. Oh my gosh, you're not just a... I'm going to the refrigerator section at the co-op. Your your homebrew. That has become my life. If I find out, oh, there's oh. something I really like, I'm going to figure out how to make it. Oh, my goodness. You When you convert, you go hard. Uh, I, I will say that I never would have brewed my own were it not for L. And L has connections that happen. Uh, SCOBY, uh, mother for kombucha when you're brewing. Uh, She has friends. She can just put out a thing on Facebook that just says, hey, does anyone have any mother available? And within seconds have people offering up piles of SCOBY, which stands for something that I don't remember. Symbiotic culture. I don't know. know. But yeah. So yeah, I have actually (laughs) suddenly taken a deep dive into kombucha, but only with help from my friends. Interesting. So it is painfully flavorful. Like yeah. you said, powerfully. I would call it painfully. It's bitter. Yeah, like it makes, yeah. I, I, I've i tried for the health benefits, not for the bubbles or any other reasons. 
And maybe, I don't know, if I'm getting bubbles, it's probably in champagne. I just, I, right. I tried, I tried for the health benefits and it's, it hurt me. It was so flavorful in a way that wasn't good. Yeah. I feel like my taste buds over time have been numb to a certain extent. Oh, maybe that's it. Thanks. <laughs> I, I smoked for 20 years. I vaped for another seven after that. Like, so you can only taste. <laughs> like, I, think, I feel like I still have, <laughs> I, I still have some taste for subtlety, but I do like uh, straw. I like flavors that make your face contort, or at least they make other people's faces contort. Like Sour Patch Kids. Yes, even as a kid, oh, I loved Sour right Patch up. Kids. No, no. no. <laughs> But I also, as a kid, loved if if someone handed me a Mountain Dew, it was gone in about 12 seconds because I would just slam it because I liked the way it flooded my taste receptors and like all of the kind of, I guess, pleasure centers. Do you know do you know why Mountain Dew did that for you from a neuro perspective? Sugar. Um, no. Do tell. Caffeine is a stimulant that with the ADD brain aligns the neurotransmitters in a way that provided a deeper level of focus than you had traditionally. That would explain why I consistently ordered double quadruple espressos. So eight shots of espresso when I could afford it in college. That's why. So if my son didn't, he, he, we chose medication route, which I'm, I don't care whether you do or don't, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying we did. And i dropped him off at my parents' house one time for a long weekend and forgot to take his medicine. And my mom calls me and in like, and she'd been kind of critical of the medication thing at first. And within like a day, she was like, okay, how do I get the medication? She was like, give me the hookup on the street. I don't care what it's going to cost me. Like I'll go meet, you know, Joe down on the corner. I was like, well, it doesn't work that way. It's controlled substance. You can't get it at the pharmacy, even if you know the pharmacist and his three kids in our small town. So I was like, the best thing I can tell you is say some prayers, have him down a Coca-Cola and just write it out. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, well, the caffeine and the Coke will, will, will help settle him down a little bit. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. So, yeah, caffeine is a stimulant, so it, it, it does that. But, unfortunately, it also comes with, like, eight gallons of sugar associated with it. Right. Typically, doesn't help you in the long term. Do you want to hear a story real quick that will make you either mad or sad? <laughs> well, of course, those two emotions are exactly what I'm looking for as we close out <laughs> our time together. Mad or sad. Yes, please. Uh, a few years ago... Uh, the doctor that I'd had for the previous probably five years retired. And, uh, and the because in- he was with you for five years, for first time. <laughs> he was just old. Okay. Um, and so in the, in the interim, they put me, they gave me this, uh, PA from Iowa, no offense to Iowa. That's just where he was from. And he immediately determined that all of the meds I was on, were wrong and that I was not allowed to have any stimulants. So all of the ADHD meds that I was taking were yanked away. And he put a big thing at the top of my paperwork that said, uh, because I was like, please don't, I got this mark that said drug seeking behavior. Oh, 
And it took me over a year to get back on ADHD meds. During which time I basically lost everything because I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. And every time, every time I said, I need a new doctor, one that understands what I'm going through, they would add another underline under drug seeking behavior. And ultimately I had to go to a, a new institution, get retested for ADHD. The results of which they're like, you are, definitely very ADHD and they gave me a new doctor that was willing to work with that it it was almost two years though I'm rarely speechless I'm so combo mad and sad like that is what our ADHD community deals with on the regular so here's somebody you think you can trust because they have medical degree but they know nothing about the way of an ADHD brain works. But <gasps> but they were highly trained in the idea that uh, things like Ritalin are overprescribed and we need to get everyone off of all of these stimulants. Oh, so bull crap. <laughs> so oh, <there. laughs> thanks for sharing. I'm going to carry that with me for days. Yeah, wow. enjoy. Uh, <laughs> I still carry it with me as I try to recover my life. Um, I bet. Yikes. We need more Dr. Amons in the world who actually teaches the real deal. Right. Anyway. Right. All right. So that that brings us to the end. (laughs) Gosh, I I wish we could have ended on a higher note like goat yoga. That makes me kind of sad. But this was super fun. I am really glad you enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad I was able to talk you into doing this. Me too. It was all good. Thank you so much for your time. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah. So anywhere that social media is, I probably have an account for the most part. My website is fleetwoodhessian.com. And it's Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian on all of the other Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn-ish kind of things. And I'd love to hear from people if they want to chat. Perfect. Thanks again. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm going to be promoting MaxDoc 2018 for the next few months. So here's your reminder for this episode. I'll be at MaxDoc this year giving a talk amidst an awesome speaker lineup. If you haven't signed up yet and you can make it to the Chicago area July 21st and 22nd, head to max.conferenceandexpo.com. If you use the coupon code INDYNERD, you can get $70 off a weekend pass. It's a great chance to meet up with your favorite Mac and iOS-loving podcasters, bloggers, personalities, as well as fellow Apple lovers. Visit max.conferenceandexpo.com and use the coupon code INDYNERD, I-N-D-I-E-N-E-R-D. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as T.T. Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. Just search for T-T-S-C-O-F-F. You can also find Systematic on Twitter, so to tweet at me and my guest and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening.